Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. Hey, it's Jesse Waters from Fox News Channel. Hope to see you at my Ag Night on November 2nd. It's going to be a night you will not want to miss. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way, where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humic Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. President Joe Biden sent a request to Congress that includes $2.8 billion in disaster aid for farmers and livestock producers affected by natural disasters. The overall request the White House has put together is $56 billion. Along with disaster aid for farmers, the package includes another request for just over $1 billion in international food aid. Lawmakers will have to decide if they want to approve the package. California Democrats highlighted the disaster aid following their request for funds for farmers in California who have been hit by disasters this year. Persistent storms and flooding earlier this year caused an estimated $1.4 billion in damages to California's agricultural operations. The devastating storms and flooding they saw earlier this year have been a heavy burden on the state's farmers and growers. Intense rains and catastrophic flooding interrupted planting timelines, left fields so saturated that many acres were left unplanted, and even now damages continuing to roil the deeply important part of their local economies, according to lawmakers. Without this desperately needed assistance, farmers will not be able to produce the country's fruits and vegetables, and the effects will be felt nationwide, according to a letter they wrote to the White House recently. Lawmakers that signed on to the letter included Representatives Salud Carbajal, Julia Brownlee, Jim Costa, Zoe Lofgren, and Jimmy Panetta. Kern County farmers may have suffered almost $1 billion in crop losses due to the unforeseeable rains hitting local vineyards and almond orchards in August. Based on grower surveys, 37% of Kern's almonds and 44% of its grapes appear to have been lost because of adverse climatic conditions during Tropical Storm Hillary. Grapes, including high-value table varieties, showed signs of damage from mildew, bunch rot, and decay, according to the assessment by the Ag Commissioner Glenn Fankhauser. He noted the total loss from grapes was estimated at more than 500 $32 million based on average prices during the past five years. Almonds deteriorated and decreased in quality as the storm delayed the harvest and pressure from pests increased. He pegged the loss to almond growers at more than $397 million. Officials with the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Guangzhou, China, have signed a Memorandum of Understanding to further their relationship and cooperation. Areas of collaboration include development of digital supply chain infrastructure, creation of a trans-Pacific green shipping corridor between the two ports, and other sustainability initiatives to reduce port-related emissions and greenhouse gases. They are grateful to the Port of Guangzhou for their commitment to work with them on these important maritime initiatives, according to Port Executive Director Gene Soroka. He said the agreement signed further reinforces the long-term relationship and like-minded pursuit of excellence in all aspects of port operations and signifies an important step towards decarbonizing the supply chain. The MOU represents continued cooperation between the ports of Los Angeles and Guangzhou, a relationship that dates back nearly four decades when the two ports signed their first friendship port agreement in 1984. This new three-year MOU calls for best practice consultations and exchanging of ideas on supply 
chain efficiency and digital technology and the sharing of lessons learned from the Port Optimizer, the revolutionary digital community system developed by the Port of Los Angeles and in use since 2017. The two ports also agreed to begin work to establish a green shipping corridor, an initiative focused on reducing emissions along their respective trade routes and promoting low and zero carbon ships and fuels. The Port of Los Angeles has already established green shipping corridor partnerships with the Port of Singapore, Port of Shanghai, and the Japanese ports of Nagoya, Yokohama, and Tokyo. Other environmental initiatives in the agreement include cooperation on testing and development of zero-emission vehicles, cargo handling equipment and vessels, as well as exploration of energy use and alternative sources, among other items. Smart growers know sustainability means managing pests at the same time they manage other priorities in their fields, which is why smart growers know Certus Biologicals. For more than 20 years, Certus Biologicals has been the world's leader when it comes to biological pesticides, delivering proven solutions that keep operations sustainable and growing. Learn more at CertusBio.com. There are quite a few options in the domestic organic specialty fruit category this fall, with pomegranates, Asian pears, persimmons, kiwi fruit, and cranberries topping the list. Stephen Paul, Dedicious Category Director for Homegrown Organic Fruits in Porterville, went through the company's lineup in detail, noting that while volumes aren't in the bumper crop category, there should be some good opportunities for promotions. Organic pomegranates are one item that can be aggressively promoted if a retailer is willing to go to a smaller size. He says the larger fruit, 20 or larger have a very competitive market, he said, indicating there are promotional opportunities in those smaller sizes and that they can make a good presentation at retail. While Homegrown will have organic pomegranates available into December, Paul said they do expect to run out of the larger fruit. Rain is the enemy of the fruit, so most growers will have it off the trees by mid-November and will be able to market the fruit for another month after that. Harvesting of Homegrown's organic persimmons, both Fuyu and Haichia varieties, has started and most of the entire crop will be sold over the next month, he said. Homegrown typically has a very good organic Asian pear program. This year is no exception. He says based on their inventory and sales, they should have have Asian pears past mid-December and maybe to the end of the year. This year, the eating quality is excellent. The company also has a fall organic California kiwi program featuring its mammoth kiwi brand. The mammoth kiwi variety produces fruit as much as 50% larger than the more traditional Hayward variety. The mammoth kiwi highlights very large sizes, topping out in the 18 to 23 range, whereas the Hayward may peak in the 30 to 39 range, he said. And he said it is the fourth season that homegrown is offered kiwi fruit and each year its volume has increased. The last item on Homegrown's organic fall fruit lineup is cranberries. The cranberries are grown in Oregon. He says all the fruit will be marketed for the Thanksgiving holiday. It's another item to add to their fall fruit program, adding that they are truly a one-stop shop. Communicare Plus OLE is a healthcare company and they will be providing locally grown fruits and vegetables to diabetics and pre-diabetics in Yolo County as a key part of their care. It's called Produce RX and it's a pilot project funded by USDA. The program, which began in May, will continue with grant funding through 2025. 
In the initial year, 112 patients will be participating. The program hopes to include 570 patients with prediabetes types 1 and 2 and gestational diabetes over its three-year lifespan. Patients will get an average of $70 in produce each for six months, and they will attend educational activities each month as part of the program. Partners include the Davis Farmers Market, the Center for Land-Based Learning's Mobile Farmers Market, and Spork Food Hub. Join us for an unforgettable evening with Jesse Waters, co-host of Fox News at the International Agri-Center in Tulare, California. Tickets are extremely limited for this one-night-only experience, and they will sell out. Hey, it's Jesse Waters from Fox News Channel. Hope to see you at my Ag Night on November 2nd. It's going to be a night you will not want to miss. Don't miss your only chance to see Jesse Waters here in the heart of California on November 2nd. Reserve your spot now at myaglife.com forward slash myagnight. If cops become mainstream, uh, we need to know how trees respond to that uh, for California condition because we are not Florida. We're dealing with very different conditions in Florida. And what are the cost benefits of uh, having a structure like this? Philippe Rolshausen with UC Riverside and that acronym you heard, CUPS, that stands for Citrus Under Protective Screens. The method has been used in Florida growing areas and other states to mitigate pest pressures and environmental factors, and now the possibility of it being implemented in California is a topic of conversation of citrus industry researchers. In Florida, they are growing uh, citrus on the protective screen because of uh, citrus wonglongbing. Uh, that's a bacterial disease that's pretty much taking down the industry. It's vectored by insects, and then uh, insects, uh, the Asian citrus psyllid, feed on the on the host and transmit the bacteria. And so the, the bacteria is a pathogenic agent and then um, causes the tree to, to die. And so the idea is that if you grow citrus on the protective screen that excludes the insect, then the insect wouldn't be able to reach the tree and transmit the disease. So rather than uh, spraying insecticide, which is currently uh, the control method, or injecting on uh, antibiotics in the tree, which is an alternative to uh, that method, uh, then you would, you know, you could grow citrus on the protective screen, and then you wouldn't have to spray insecticide or inject antibiotics. Uh, but so I just want to say that uh, growing citrus on the protective screen is not only specific to Florida. Uh, this is being done in uh, several parts of the world for other reasons. And, you know, we're talking about uh, protection against hail, protection against sunburn, protection against wind damage. And so the difference here is, is in the size of the mesh. Uh, when you're dealing with hail or wind or sun, uh, the mesh can be relatively loose. Uh, when you're dealing with the insect, the Asian citrus psyllid, the mesh has to be tighter. Uh, so, the, so the insect cannot go through. And what it does is that basically that changes the environmental condition inside uh, the enclosed structure. 
Sounds pretty good, right? The bottleneck, Rollshausen said, is of course the cost of the structure. It wouldn't be cheap to construct one over a whole citrus grove, so the benefits need to outweigh the costs. Since California is so different from other growing areas, would it even make sense? That's what needs to be determined. It's an economy of mass. The more you produce, the more you can build a structure, the, the, you know, the yield will bring the cost down. But the reality is not not everyone is going to be able to afford it just because of cost. Uh, there are some economic studies done in Florida. So for Florida conditions, uh, you could pay back your structure after seven years or so, I believe. Um, for California, we don't know. And so this is what we're looking at, into. Not only how does that benefit uh, citrus in the event that uh, citrus wrong being expands in California, and you know, it's uh, with those types of disease, it's a, it's never a matter of if, it's always a matter of when. And so this is going to expand, uh, but we just don't know in what capacity. And so uh, if that becomes, we call it cups, citrus on the protective screen. If cups become mainstream, uh, we need to know how trees respond to that uh, for. California condition because we're not Florida. We're dealing with very different condition in Florida. And what are the cost benefits of uh, having a structure like this? Does it make sense for growers to build structure uh, to grow citrus uh, under a protective screen? Lindcove Research and Extension Center recently completed its own five-acre structure over a citrus grove to determine how trees respond to different environmental conditions and which varieties will perform better under the structure. What we know from uh, experience elsewhere is that uh, those cups really buffer the environment around the tree. And so there's the light is more diffused, you know, under uh, those that net, but you also have an increase Increase in temperature, uh, citrus tree tends to respond very well to those conditions. But again, this has been done elsewhere in South Africa, uh, in Florida. We don't know how citrus trees will respond to California conditions. So that's the number one: is that we have a mirror uh, image experiment indoor and outdoor, and we are looking at how trees will respond to cups. Uh, that, so that's the first thing. The second is that, uh, and we are looking at this for, I would say, standard um, citrus variety for California. So uh, mandarins and, and navel mostly. Um, the other thing we're looking at is which uh, variety will perform better in cups. And so we, are, we want to look at the different rootstock cyan combinations and see which variety perform better because uh, they, you know, not every variety is the same, and so some will perform better than others. And so uh, we need to be able to tell growers what variety, if they built a, a cups, what variety should they plant, uh, you know, in terms of for yield purposes or fruit quality purposes, uh, which one would, would do better. And so th this will be uh, another question that we have, and also. Uh, you know, you when you build a cups, you uh, you try to manage a problem. In that case, in that case, HLB, but you also create others because the environmental condition will be different. So there will be 
different pests and different disease. And so we need to know uh, what sort of uh, problems a cup school be dealing with in terms of pest and disease management. And so develop a IPM program for uh, for citrus, for cups that's tailored for cups. Specifically. Even if Wang Long Bing, the main reasoning behind the protective structures, doesn't develop in California for whatever reason, the structures can provide other benefits which will be researched. For my ag life, I'm Taylor Chalstrom. This segment was sponsored by Polymer Ag, makers of Anti-Stress 550, the climate stress solution. Find out more at polymerag.com. The Food and Drug Administration Foods Coalition was launched to advocate for a modernized, effective foods program at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration focused on preventing foodborne illness outbreaks and other food safety risks and decreasing diet-related chronic diseases. Made up of consumer advocates, food industry representatives, public health groups, and state and local regulators, the coalition will educate policymakers, media, and the public about improving the governance of the FDA Human Foods Program. The coalition is supportive of the FDA's proposed redesign of the Human Foods Program and looks forward to working with Commissioner and Dr. Robert Califf and the new Deputy Commissioner for Human Foods, Jim Jones, to implement these changes and facilitate greater transparency, accountability, and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Many of the organizations in the diverse coalition began working together following FDA's delayed response to the infant formula crisis and called on Commissioner Califf to appoint a leader empowered to address the fundamental problems plaguing the agency's foods program. In response, Commissioner Califf ordered an external review of the program by the Reagan Udall Foundation, which concluded that the FDA's culture, organizational structure, and governance model undermine its effectiveness. Earlier this year, Commissioner Califf announced plans to adopt many of those recommendations and recently appointed Jim Jones as deputy commissioner of its human foods program. The FDA Foods Coalition will work with the agency to ensure that FDA's human foods program communicates, embraces, and promotes a clear and compelling vision, mission, and value statement, institutes an organizational structure with a single leader with a clear articulation of roles, responsibilities, and accountability, establishes through the new deputy commissioner position a management system that fully integrates the human foods program on policy, resource management, and field operations, and leads a program-wide transformation that prioritizes a shift to a public health prevention culture in both headquarters and field operations develops and nurtures a culture where regulatory decision-making is focused on consumer safety and public health, prioritizes meaningful stakeholder engagement and collaboration, establishes a stronger, more cooperative relationship with state, local, and tribal governments, formulates an appropriation strategy that considers stakeholder input and includes a well-defined prioritized agenda and clarity and transparency on how program funding will be allocated and has authority and resources to ensure that the agency's enterprise modernization initiative meets the operational and data management needs of the human foods program. A recent report from Rabobank says the outlook for global fertilizer markets is positive in the coming years. However, there are some challenges and potential risks to monitor. The global fertilizer market is recovering, with an estimated increase in usage of around 3% this year after a 7% drop in 2022 because of significant market complications. The Rabobank Affordability Index shows a positive outlook for fertilizer purchasing in 2024, with an expected increase of almost 5% next year. The Farm Input Division at 
Rabobank says nitrogen growth grew to 2% this year, phosphate 3.9%, and potash was up 5%. There is a potential impact from the Israel-Hamas war, as Israel is a sizable supplier of phosphate and potash. Israel accounts for about 3% of the world's phosphate exports and 8% of the global potash supply. Currently, there is sufficient availability and alternative supply sources. The new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, stressed in his acceptance speech the GOP's long-standing push to rein in spending, a goal that has direct implications for ag spending. Johnson hails from the GOP's hardline conservatives, some of whom torpedoed the FY 2024 USDA Food and Drug Administration spending bill last month. Johnson voted for the bill that would have cut $8 billion by reprogramming the unspent COVID funds, not enough for many hardliners. But the new Speaker said this after taking the gavel. The skyrocketing cost of living is unsustainable and Americans should not have to worry about how they're going to feed their family every week because they can't afford their groceries anymore. We have to bring relief to the American people by reining in federal spending and bringing down inflation. Johnson argued the greatest threat to national security is the debt, forcing up borrowing costs for farmers, homeowners and others. The debt has crossed almost $33.6 trillion dollars. And the time that it's going to take me to, to deliver this speech will go up another $20 million in debt. It's unsustainable. The new speaker said fixing it won't be easy. Tough decisions will have to be made. But the consequences, if we don't act now, are unbearable. We have a duty to the American people to explain this to them so they understand it well. And we are going to establish a bipartisan debt commission to begin working on this crisis immediately. Immediately. <laughs> The Treasury Department says interest rates on the national debt doubled in one year to $659 billion. Iowa Senators Chuck Grasley and Joni Ernst are calling on the Department of Commerce to lower the countervailing duties on phosphate fertilizers from Morocco. The push comes from the Court of International Trade's recent remand of DOC's subsidy calculation. They're asking that the Commerce carefully consider and follow the Court's decision in Commerce's recalculation of the subsidy amount, both in its final determination in the investigation and its administrative review. The Iowa delegation said in a letter that reducing the subsidy rate would provide welcome relief for U.S. farm suppliers and their customers who are America's family farmers. Grassley and his colleagues cited promising preliminary findings from the DOC on potentially reducing the subsidy rate by about 5.5%. Since the Biden administration boosted duties on Moroccan phosphate fertilizers, their supply across the U.S. has dropped, placing an undue financial burden on farmers. The move has already driven input costs up even further. The Energy Information Administration reports that ethanol production rose to its highest level in two months and inventories rose during the seven days ending on October 20th. Ethanol production increased to an average of 1.04 million barrels a day. That's up from 1.03 million the previous week and the highest level since August 18th. In the Midwest, output narrowly rose to 987,000 barrels a day from 985,000 a previous week. That's also the highest in the Midwest since mid-August. East Coast production rose from 10,000 to 12,000 barrels a day, while West Coast output improved from 9,000 a prior week to 10,000 barrels a day. Gulf Coast production was unchanged at 17,000 barrels a day. Ethanol stockpiles through the week of October 20th rose to 21.39 million barrels, up from 21.1 million a week earlier. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcast and live and virtual events jcs marketing has the reach to inform 
educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 